Good morning. My name is Felicia Orth. I am a member of this congregation and sidekick to the forum chair uh, who couldn't be here this morning. It's my privilege to introduce this morning as our forum speaker, Wade Wheelock, a member of our congregation. He's speaking this morning uh, on early childhood education and care. There is a handout at the back of the room uh, with internet resources on those topics. Wade. Uh, it is an honor to be introduced by the president of our congregation, so thank you, Madam President. Doesn't that have a good sound to it? Thank you, Madam President. Uh, well, all right, this is my, my topic for today, early childhood programs, the most important investments a society can make. That may sound a bit overblown, but I hope by the end of my 30 minutes and 10 minutes of discussion, you might agree with me. More important than infrastructure, environmental issues, military, you start here if you want to have a good and livable society, early childhood programs. Uh, what do I know about them? Uh, not a whole lot. I'm a retired uh, Unitarian Universalist minister, uh, but I've been reading a lot of economics over the last several years focusing on issues of poverty, and I saw more and more economists say that the answer, the fundamental answer, where you start to solve issues of poverty, whether it's a whole developing country mired in poverty for most people, or with uh, a rich country like ours with great inequality and pockets, big pockets of poverty, the place to start is early childhood programs in the first few years of life. And so I was convinced of that. And all of you may be convinced too. Uh, early childhood educators, not all educators, but those focusing on early childhood, um, and those researchers who do brain research on early children, the development of children's brains. I've been saying this apparently for decades, but it's only been uh, percolating up into uh, more general literature like the stuff I've been reading uh, over the last few years, and so I've become convinced. So if you're already convinced, if this is something you know, I say, oh, well, okay, of course, then you should go out and get more coffee and uh, chat with other folks. So I may be one of the few uh, for whom this seems to be news, but it's been news for a few years, and I decided, well, it's time uh, to put it a little more front and center. And one place for which it still seems to be news is politicians. Because if they believe this, they would put their money there, and they're not. All right, next. And the reason why this is important, it's all right here. Uh, those who study the development of childhood, of ch children's brains, say that 90% of what constitutes a brain is formed before the age of five, and now uh, others are also saying before or by the age of three. What constitutes you as a human being is formed already in your earliest years. Uh, you can add to it, um, but you're probably not going to improve on the basic potential that is developing and has come to pretty full fruition within the first five years of life or three years of life. So we're missing out on giving uh, our babies the chance to be the fullest humans 
they can be. And with all the consequences for what kind of society do you have? What are we creating as a people, as a community, if we don't give our, our babies and our uh, young children the best chance to be a, uh, a fully formed, properly formed, healthily formed human as can be? The first five years, first three years of life. Okay, next. Um, now, we can read this, let me uh, read it to you. So what follows from this in terms of what are early childhood programs? I used to think, well, when uh, politicians and educators are talking about early childhood education, they were wanting two-year-olds to know their alphabet and three-year-olds to be able to recognize Mozart, but it's much deeper than that, and, and perhaps it's uh, not the right term to use early childhood education. So many are now using early childhood education and care. And so it starts right at the very beginning. Uh, you need programs that, first of all, um, help children uh, develop in the womb, uh, starts prenatally, and make sure they have a healthy environment. That's the most fundamental thing you can do, and we know that that's not really the case in much of the world and much of our uh, own society. Uh, then tier two programs, interventions for those families in poverty in particular, because poverty does not help anybody develop uh, in, in, in many sorts of of ways, so you need programs that can take children to places, a center-based, and services for parents, uh, income supports, so that uh, is something else that's needed uh, in, in terms of early childhood programs, and, and then specialized services uh, for those uh, involved in toxic stress, uh, child abuse, the most uh, horrific of them, but, you know, uh, drug addiction issues. So you need specialized programs. Okay, next. And what do we have here in New Mexico? Well, here's a general list. We do have some home visiting, but we're going to see that all of these programs in New Mexico uh, are lacking. They don't reach uh, a very high percentage of of children, babies in general, let alone those who could really use it. So there is some home visiting, and next week uh, is a program on uh, the home visiting uh, service here in Los Alamos County, firstborn program. Uh, but there are very few of these, or at least they don't cover uh, very many children in New Mexico. We have the fam uh, Family Infant and Toddler Program, Early Intervention for Children Who Have uh, Obvious developmental issues that have already shown up. So there is that. Uh, Head Start, Early Head Start, those are federal programs with income um, limitations put on them. Uh, child care, it's a big lump, uh, it, but it, it's basically just child care. It's not an educational program, it's just a safe place to go, which is important, but it's not quite as far along as one ought to have. A pre-K, you hear a lot about that, so something before the age of five, when the brain has already gotten fully formed, uh, some of that, and early childhood special education, so that's in New Mexico, but there are federal programs, Medicaid, uh, 
food assistance and a couple of ways in welfare assistance that obviously are also important. Uh, next. So here's a more description, home visiting, early head start services, um, family infant and toddler program, early childhood special education, and in general helping parents know how to be parents. This is not obvious uh, when you become a parent, or if it is, you probably learn the wrong things anyway. Um, but notice where you get early learning services Public Education Department, there's one. Children, Youth, and Families Department, that's two. Department of Health, that's three different departments of the state that you have to coordinate and deal with to get early childhood programs. And a full range of state and federal funding sources, several more different kinds of programs. There is a bill now introduced by State Senator Michael Padilla from Albuquerque to combine all the early childhood programs into one cabinet level department, and I would say that's a grand idea. So that's currently in the legislature now. Okay, next. And so here's a general overview of uh, what New Mexico has from the uh, Children, Youth, and Families Department on their website. But just look, prenatal. You have home visiting, which we know doesn't cover very many children. That is a trained professional going into the home prenatal or immediately after birth to help uh, a parent deal with a new baby. Uh, not much of that. Mm -mm -mm. Early Head Start, uh, that's a very limited federal program, again, with income uh, limitations put on who gets to be part of it. Uh, birth to one, home visiting, this IDEA Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, another federal program with limitations on it. Uh, child care, well, we're finally getting there, but again, it's not much of a program, and it covers very few eligible children or from low income. There's a long waiting list in New Mexico to get some of those slots where they will help pay you uh, to get into child care, which is very expensive, and the younger, uh, the more expensive and limited it is. Uh, so you don't get to, you know, the age at which the brain researchers tell us the brain is already formed, in which everything crucial has already happened until uh, you get the Head Start, another federal program with income limitations on it, or you get to New Mexico Pre-K, about which all the politicians are saying so much and so excited about, oh, well, we've got a program now for 200 more kids. Well, not quite um, what is needed. Okay, next. Uh, here's a logo that the Massachusetts Department of Early Education and Care, they, a few years ago, did combine all their pre-five uh, programs into one cabinet level uh, department, and that makes a lot of sense. And, and they have used this as a logo to say, what is going on when you see little kids playing? In a playground, up front here, uh, sitting in front of a TV set, it's brain building is what you ought to be thinking about. It's not just kids killing time and parents getting relieved. Brain building in progress. Okay, next. Um, Okay, from the Harvard University Center on the Developing Child, where I got a lot of this information, 
So it can inform investments if you uh, look at the research. Decades of neuroscience and behavioral research help illustrate why child development, particularly from birth to five or birth to three, is a foundation for a prosperous and sustainable society. The quality of adults you're producing, if this is what your main interest is in, happens in those early years. So let's put our money and our efforts and our care and our love and attention into that. Um, early preventive intervention will be more efficient and produce more favorable outcomes and remediation in life. It's such a basic lesson that all levels of government here and around the world totally ignore. Prevention works and is much, cheap, much more cheap and effective than waiting to have remedial programs. Let's hold kids back who can't read into third grade. Well, a little late in the game. A child only grows up once, and most of her potential for a full and satisfying life is fixed by life experiences from prenatal to five. The basic point, it seems to me. Why this is crucial, it's urgent, it's not something, okay, well, we have a plan for a 10-year expansion of pre-K. Well, the kid has come and gone by then and has either been helped or not helped adequately. Okay, next. Uh, here's a nice chart of how it works. Um, the, these going up seem to indicate that more things are happening uh, at that point in the first year and also prenatally in terms of, well, they say like 700 neurons in the brain per second are being formed. That's, uh, I can't think that fast. 700, well, that's because maybe I didn't get the right help uh, as an as a early kid, but 700 neurons per second being developed uh, in these basic categories, functions of the brain. And tapering off after the first year and tapering down by you know, age five and the higher cognitive functions like what all of us do when we go home and read a book or something. Those higher cognitive functions still sort of uh, meander along at their own pace. Okay, next. Um, too much words. Basically, it says uh, a baby learns by reaching out to the universe. Google, gaga, gigi and smiling or dribbling or something. And you, as a parent or a caregiver, do not sit there like lump on a log, respond. You go gitchy gitchy goo and smile and tickle and stuff like that. You talk to your baby, you point things out, you take your baby around and show her the world and respond. And if you don't, if you're not actively engaged in responding, the child's brain is not developing as well as it could. And of course, you can do negative things. You can absolutely ignore your child, or you can frown, you can slap, you can shake, and you're developing toxic stress that is bad for the child's brain development, and that lasts forever. Okay, next. The brain's capacity for change decreases with age. The brain is most flexible or plastic early in life. Don't we all know that? So uh, try learning the language after church today and see you know, how fast it's going. Um, the emotional, physical, 
health, social skills, cognitive, linguistic capacities that emerge in early years are all important prerequisites for success in school and later in the workplace and community. Well, you want to think of it that way. If we're looking at how to help the society have high-functioning people, you start with well-developed brains in uh, the infant and early child population. If you just want to think in terms of being humane, give the child the best chance to have a satisfying full life, uh, you still you work early. Toxic stress, on the other hand, damages developing brain architecture, leads to lifelong problems in learning, behavior, and physical and mental health. Scientists now know that chronic unrelenting stress in early childhood caused by extreme poverty. Poverty is not harmless. Poverty hurts. Hurts the family, hurts uh, the children growing up in it. Repeated abuse, of course, severe maternal depression, just postpartum depression of mothers having just given birth, not responding in a lively fashion to their babies, uh, can be toxic. And next, and they have, um, go ahead, Mike, next. And they have pictures. I don't know what poor child got its frontal cortex excised a little bit here, but they can tell um, that the, I think this is from a child growing up in extreme poverty. Uh, the neurons don't develop as well. I have to take their word for that. Okay, next. And they've done some studies, cases per 1,000 U.S. children, age 2 to 5, and various studies about how many of these 1,000 children were exposed to some kind of uh, uh, early childhood uh, trauma. So actual maltreatment, 75 out of 1,000, parental substance abuse, and we know that's getting worse and worse, uh, particularly uh, in this region of New Mexico, and just postpartum depression, which I don't think usually gets discussed. But look at the, the total numbers in these studies. It's around 10%. Did I get that right? I think so. Yeah, around 10%. That's an enormous amount of trauma that our children are exposed to. Okay, next. And as you might guess, New Mexico is one of the leaders in stress. Uh, adverse childhood experiences, as they're called, sounds a little better than trauma, but uh, in these dark gold numbers, that means a significantly higher percentage of our children, however they ever um, made this analysis, experience such stress, a higher than average for the country. Okay, next. Uh, and just a little bit on The Economist. If there's one overarching lesson from the past few decades of research about how to break the cycles of poverty in the United States. Even it's the importance of intervening early, ideally in the first year or two of life, even before the child is born. So I saw it when economists started paying attention to this. And here from a couple of um, economists doing work in India, I just like this image. Imagine how we would view a gardener who allows anyone to trample on the flowers he is growing and then tries to rectify the neglect by giving the plants extra care and heavy doses of water and fertilizer later. Something like this, however, is done by the state, in this case the state of India, to children on a regular basis since very often public intervention 
does not begin until the children reach school-going age, five or six years old. And the result in India, you may have positive views of India, but a telling statistic, a recent research shows that over 40% of five-year-olds in India are stunted, malnourished. They have not grown to international standards for height and weight. Over 40%. There is no place in the world, including sub-Saharan Africa, with worse numbers than that. They are taking care of other things, call centers and, and people ready to come and take high-tech jobs in this country, but they are not paying attention to their children. Okay, next. And we'll go on to the next. That's too many words there. Uh, and if this is important to you, they have done some long-term um, longitudinal projects. Give a kid early childhood education, give the neighboring kid none, and see what happens after 20 years. And they've actually done this, seems a bit perverse, but anyway. And they come up with, well, the bottom line says it, it's worth it. That the individual who had the early childhood programs earns more money, uh, has better jobs, and which means um, they pay more in income taxes, uh, they're less likely to be uh, little juvenile delinquents or adult delinquents, they don't need special education and welfare costs. So if this is what it takes for you to have early childhood programs, okay, let's do it. It saves the state money in the long run. All right, next. I always think those are, well, maybe politicians respond to those kinds of arguments, but I think they're pretty crass. Okay, advocacy. We do have a lot of advocacy groups in New Mexico for putting more money uh, into children and families, but particularly early childhood. And one of the premier ones, uh, New Mexico Voices for Children, I mentioned them in the resource sheet. Uh, I got a lot of my information from them on nmvoices.org. Um, they really put out a lot of stuff nonpartisan statewide advocacy group. They do research and analysis. They educate lawmakers about solutions, though most lawmakers aren't picking this up very well. Their education uh, levels are still fairly low, but we're getting more and more discussion. And they publish the annual kids count data for New Mexico. This is from the uh, Annie E. Casey Foundation that does a national study every year. This is where the term uh, commonly heard now in New Mexico originated, thank goodness for Mississippi. Okay, and the next slide explains that. Here is uh, from this kids count profile of all the 50 states, national rank 49th. Last year, the year before that, 49th. And uh, one of these has just come out a couple of weeks ago, national rank 49th, and we've never in New Mexico ranked above 40 in the dozen or so years that uh, this foundation has been making an analysis. They do, uh, they check on 16 different indicators of child well-being. So, you know, it's a lot of things, and it's very detailed data. You can look at it on the New Mexico Voices for Children website or go right to uh, the NEE Casey Kids Count Foundation website. But just to look at this 
column children at or below the poverty level in New Mexico were 48. 30% of all our children live in poverty. And again, some people tell you, oh, poverty's no sweat. You got food stamps, uh, you got a TV set. Uh, well, poverty hurts everybody in the family. It's stressful. But look at the national average. One out of five children in this country live in poverty. It's hard to believe that the so-called so judge of the so-called richest nation in the world that we permit that, one out of five. It's because, oh, we're letting their kids live in poverty, not ours. Um, children not in school, this is three and four-year-olds. 59% of the children in New Mexico have no program. They may have childcare, they may go to the grandma or granddad's house or the teenager across the street, or they may have a paid certified childcare, but it's not a program. It's not educational. It's okay, let's play, let's stop, have a snack. Okay, let's go back to playing and don't hit each other. Um, that's the highest percentage in the nation with no program. Um, health, low birth weight babies, but uh, Children in single-parent families, which mm, we know there's a lot of divorce in, the, in this country uh, and in our state, and it's, it's not great, but it's not necessarily awful. It, it correlates to poverty, but 41%, with the national average is 35%. So anyway, you can look for this information. It's interesting, but pretty depressing. Okay, Mike, next. So what does New Mexico do about it? They spend, this is for... Uh, the last fiscal year, which we're still in, and, and all of these numbers are still changing because uh, we came out with a deficit and the legislature kept meeting and trying to tinker with it, and they did in the current legislative session to try to get rid of the deficit. But it's roughly $6.2 billion. I think the budgets being proposed now are like on the order of $5.8 billion. Uh, but I think these proportions stay the same. And notice early education is not 0.93. It's, I had to rewrite this, $93 million uh, about one and a half percent of the total budget for early childhood programs compared to K through 12 and higher education getting the great bulk of things. Okay, next. Uh, so we don't, this is New Mexico Voices again. What didn't get funded in that budget, they estimated at $191 million should have been expended on early childhood care and learning. Pre-K for 5,000 four-year-olds not getting it here in our state. Home visiting for 20,000 babies. So the home visiting we do have isn't covering very many. Child care for 10,000 children so their parents can go to work. Uh, the family, infants, and toddlers program for children with uh, known uh, developmental challenges 6,000 kids short, K through K3 for three-year-olds, 15,000 kids short. So we're short a lot. Okay, next. Uh, it, it's kind of irrelevant to look at the 2017 budget, but it shows something. In green, I put things that looked positive. Um, this was a budget 
passed uh, with a Republican House of Representatives, a Democratic State Senate, and a Republican governor. So what it shows is there can be cross-aisle consensus on some things for early childhood programs. 1.1 million new funding for home visiting, but sort of a drop in the bucket with 200 new families. 800,000 for pre-K for three-year-olds. Again, a tiny drop, uh, but still positive, and 5 million for capital outlays for new pre-K classrooms. Oh boy, we're ready for them. All right, next. So at least, again, there can be some uh, bipartisan consensus that childhood, early childhood programs are worth it. Uh, uh, let's go on to the next, that's too much. It's about Medicaid, which is important, and, but who knows where Medicaid is going at the moment. Invest in, uh, Invest in Kids Now is another uh, advocacy group, but they are focused exclusively on early childhood programs. Uh, that's what they really want. And they come up with the analysis uh, that we need an extra $272 million to fully fund everything we need in, in the way of early childhood programs. New Mexico Voices at $191 million. So anyway... Um, But they are proposing, and uh, New Mexico Voices also is in favor of, let's take more money from the land-grant permanent fund, the school land-grant permanent fund. Okay, next, and we'll see what that is. This is the one funding source that every, all the folks in favor of early childhood programs seem to be glomming onto. Um, established in 1910, it now has $15 billion in it. Um, they use just 5.5% distributed annually, and it all goes through to K through 12 programs, and that's pretty much what most people with endowments do, take about that kind of percentage off the average value over the last several quarters. Investing Kids now wants to have folks take another percent and a half from that fund and aim it exclusively at early childhood programs. Uh, and it, whenever they say this, and they've had bills the last couple of times, they have all kinds of uh, safety valves in it. There's, there are a couple of proposals now, one from uh, State Senator Padilla, again, that would take one and a half percent it's a constitutional amendment, which means if both houses of the legislature pass it, Susanna doesn't get to do anything about it. She can moan all she wants. All Republicans are against taking any more money from this land-grant permanent fund. And many key Democrats are against Oh, no, it's a rainy day fund. What happens? I want to see it here for our grandchildren. Well, hell, most of the grandchildren in New Mexico aren't going to get the kind of early childhood care that they need. They are not going to be able to benefit from uh, K through 12 programs. So, well, this is a typical attitude people have towards endowments and so-called permanent funds. Wait for the rainy day. It's flooding already. Okay, next. And there's another one that just came out in the House that would take 1% and only use 
$39 million for early childhood and $91 million for K through 12. And at first I thought, oh, this is exciting, but no, 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 I don't, that's not the right proportions. Uh, and here, pretend you don't see the name or recognize the face. We are not doing any endorsements. We are endorsing a position that we can take as a church or certainly as individuals that this is the sort of response we want to see from our politicians. Investing in brighter futures for our kids' early childhood learning is critical to kids' future success in, social, in school. Stephanie wants to expand early childhood education opportunities so that every kid has a chance to get ahead. We can say that. As a church, I think we should. Um, anyway, so let's go on to, the, on to the next. So next week, I hope you'll come back and we'll get some more folks interested uh, in the home visiting program that we have here in Los Alamos, the firstborn program uh, that Children, Youth, and Families Department of the State has a page of their website about home visiting. It's so important to train professional. If you want, you have to volunteer to have this happen. A trained professional will, will come to your home about 45 minutes an hour once a week and help you deal with a newborn and understand, well, and then before in prenatal uh, how to make sure you're taking care of yourself as a pregnant mother, and then how do you deal with the baby? How do you encourage it around the house to, you know, develop well? Or how do you deal with problems? Um, so, well, let me just skip ahead, Mike, to next, next, next. We'll see them next week. Um, they started back up again in February of 2015 after a little hiatus, but that's our program, their award winning, and we'll see four folks. And then one last, the future begins with babies. Their future happens right now. We are developing it. We are guaranteeing either a good future or a lousy future by how we deal with our babies. Okay. Is this on? I have uh, two comments. One of them is uh, a direct experience supporting your primary statement that um, okay. development in early childhood is important. Uh, my granddaughter is now 21 and not so little anymore. Um, for the first six years of her life, she was the only granddaughter in either ch family. That puts grandmothers in your face, right? Mm. One of whom doesn't speak English, and the other doesn't speak Spanish. When she was learning to speak, she had trouble disentangling the two languages. She'd make a sentence that <laughs> involved both of them. By the time she was five, she was a little translator. Right. She could do it glibly. By the time she was eight, she could look at a page of text in one language and tell you in the other what it said. 
Um, she got to high school. You must take a language. She already knew the two most common ones. So what else was there? She decided to take Latin, you know, Latin grammar. <laughs> when she graduated from high school, she tried to, she entered a, a national contest, an exam you take, number one in the nation of a Latin scholar. Now she's a junior in college. Looks like she's on her way to a PhD in uh, an abstract corner of, of uh, physiology, probably the forefront of new knowledge and to present the, the um, nation's next advances in, in medical care. And she already has a publication record. Well, as an undergraduate, it's just her name, too, on a long list of contributors to a group effort. But it is a publication record. Great. <laughs> we have one more comment or question? Do you have any specific examples from states that are considered doing well in the early childhood programs? Well, I looked at Massachusetts just uh, out of prejudice. Uh, and as I said, they have now created a single department, which I think is a good idea. And as, as I said, there is a bill in our state. Uh, but I tried to look at comparative expenditures, and I couldn't. I mean, the, the budgets uh, are just ridiculously all over the place. I don't mean in terms of spending, but in terms of results. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of emphasis uh, on research-based, um, like, if you can show you have a research program that showed that your early childhood program worked and had good outcomes, uh, Medicaid would pay for it. We don't in New Mexico have refused to pay the extra little bit, it's in the tens or hundreds of thousands of bucks, to get the millions of dollars from Medicaid. Uh, next week uh, we'll, we'll find out that firstborn program uh, as it existed in Santa Fe. It just had a study by the RAND Corporation that showed, uh, you know, we'll do, put some in the program and some not in the program, that there were fewer medical problems for the kids who went into the program. So this is the kind of research-based analysis that is uh, going on. So, well, I think we have to stop there. I, I, I'm going to add one thing, which is Frederick Douglass was in the news this week. Um, <laughs> I won't. What an active guy, my goodness. <laughs> uh, but I was uh, reminded of one of my favorite stories about Frederick Douglass, which is as a young boy, uh, the lady of the house on the plantation where he lived decided to teach him how to read. And the man of the house, the master of the house, caught her teaching young Frederick how to read and said, Stop that. You cannot do that. Among other things, it was against the law at the time. And she said, why not? The, the boy should know how to read. And he said, if he learns how to read, he won't be fit for slavery anymore. And, of course, he made the mistake of saying that in front of young Frederick. <laughs> Thank you, Wade. <laughs>